0: this is your host Matthew Nanez and it appears I've hit a snag with some of the scheduling in the day two series so we're going to take a day two detour <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty uh, pretty uh, cheeky myself but um anyway I decided to field some questions from uh, you guys and I got some really great questions about music and... I was thinking, who is a really good person to talk about um, uh, music? Probably one of the most DIY people I've ever met in my life. Um, So I brought on my friend Nate Allen. Uh, He's had uh, years of experience on the road, easily playing like a thousand shows with his projects Destroy Nate Allen and Good Saint Nathaniel. So here's what we did. I asked him a few questions uh, about his career, and and just so you all can get to know him a little bit more, and then we dive into the questions. So I I really believe out of any um, episode I've had so far, if you are if you are a creator or a musician, this one has a ton of value for you. Um, if you're creating through the coronavirus. Or even even at all like um, this the information here really spans um, just music in general you know um, and it will' help you in your career and in, in, in your life I believe so um, check it out um, he's really awesome we get into his uh, face story putting yourself out there um, amongst other other things as well so um, thank you so much for the support. Um, the the podcast has hit over 500 listens in this uh, short amount of time. Um, I thought it would be crickets uh, <laughs> releasing this stuff, um, and I know a lot of that is is the guess, right? I, I'm not gonna be silly and think otherwise, but uh, I hope along the way the value that you get from having these amazing people on um, will help you. So. Anyway, um, let's let's listen to uh, one of his songs uh, from uh, Good Saint Nathaniel, and uh, we'll get to it. Uh, before we do, um, if you have not heard my music, go to Swans of Never on Spotify and start streaming. Um, I'm working on some music right now, and I've got another single about to hit in the next two weeks, so keep an eye out for that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Here is uh, Good St. Nathaniel, and let's get on to the interview.
1: When the light shines, in the darkness, when we acknowledge our Damage we have done with short sightedness, uninvited. May your love break. Yeah, mine mine my, my uh,
2: three year old is as well, but uh, the goal right now is Tessa's trying to get her down. so for sure, for sure, old well, thanks for
0: thanks for hopping on. Uh, how is uh, COVID life treat, treating you?
2: It's not too bad. Um, we already worked from home, mm-hmm. and we already had a new baby, so we kind of were in like lockdown mode. The, the months before it all kind of swept everything. So yeah, I think our biggest loss, which is so mi- minor was like, we didn't have any childcare <laughs> and then within our like work. It's just like, it's just been a, a circus because the government like keeps changing all the deadlines and it's been wild.
0: Right. And for folks who, who don't know, yeah. uh, so what, what do you and
2: your wife has to do? We Tess has a tax business, so we do taxes for touring musicians and artists and other creative types. And uh, that's, that's the bulk of what we do. And we yeah. also do some consulting and some various other types of business, music business things.
0: Right. So when everything came down, especially like right before tax season, did everyone just come calling like, oh, crap, either. Well, before they extended the date, right? Were yeah. People just super nervous. Like, what was the vibe
2: of? You know, we didn't get that many people. We definitely got some, a handful of like anxious emails, but I mean, I don't know. We just didn't get a whole lot. It was, I think a lot of people were like, oh, they sent the deadline. Cool. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> like me. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not a, yeah. People, unless they're expecting a, a substantial refund, people are not eager to do their taxes
0: right it's kind of like the last thing you want to so. do something de- depending on what's going on because like for me i'm like well it's probably not going to be great yeah. so any time that i can like move away from the pain <laughs> and yeah it out. and i mean people have all
2: sorts of uh anxieties and trauma around finance i know for even me like sometimes talking about money can be pretty difficult um can can add a lot of tension uh to me from from the past so like it's it's a little like it's a tricky subject to talk about i mean it's been really interesting to work in the finance side of the music industry like Mm. directly for so long now because we have conversations with people like oh how much did you make last year or like you know we talk in terms of thousands or whatever the like big numbers are that we're like like it's really common for me to be on the phone with somebody and just like ask them a, p- a question that I never would have asked somebody, uh, you know, five years ago. Like, right. My first question is super personal. I'm Like, wow, that's super strange.
0: Right, because you just don't walk up to
2: strangers like,
0: oh, how much did you make last year? It's just yeah. not a common thing. To no, add. but it's totally
2: common in our like in our world to be like, so are you making this much or this much? Like, because um, that'll d- depend on you know what kind of advice we give you. Are you making you know. Ten thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars; those are totally different discussions. And I think it's actually
0: super helpful that you and Tessa have been on the road and actually have lived that life for yeah. so long. I think that would automatically bring uh, a comfort. Uh, say if I, I'm your, you know, if I'm bringing my taxes to you, and I'm a musician, like I know you're not going to give me a weird side eye, like yo, oh what, no,
2: what are you doing? We we definitely get. A, per, a good percentage of the of our people we work with because they're like oh somebody said you knew how to like deal with musicians or, yeah and so we're like oh we get the you know it's it's funny like there'll be little pockets that we know people are like oh yeah we do all your friends taxes yeah <laughs> and uh and it's, it's pretty funny
0: that's amazing so a little bit of backstory so i you might have a different memory than i do but I was on tour with Bradley Hathaway. I think, like in two thousand and six, that was like my first tour with him. Okay. And I think we we're heading west to Roseburg. Did I have the name correct? Yeah, yeah. Oregon. That might have been the first show I ever played with you. It's either that or somewhere else. But like we we hooked up with you guys in the Northwest. Yeah. To do a couple shows.
1: You
2: know, I can remember. I know that I've done. I know over over the time with Bradley, I, we did Portland, Roseburg, Medford, Oregon, and mm-hmm. I, actually he played his first ever holiday away from home was a San Francisco show with us, like yeah. several years before we met. Um, so so like, you
0: so you were like an OG
2: uh, ally of of Bradley. Hathaway's. Yeah, I think <laughs> we definitely were. Like it was right after he was on the cover of Relevant magazine and uh threw threw a show for him and i played like i mean it was i mean i can get the specific date but it was oh four or oh five
0: that sounds about right because i remember my first bradley moment and if it, if, if 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 you're hearing this and you don't know who bradley <laughs> hathaway is he's an enigmatic figure he's one of my best friends um but uh he he's a great artist like he he's He's uh, very uh, opinionated. He's kind of brash sometimes, but like sometimes, but he's really great at what he does. And around like 2004, 2005, he was starting to do poetry with hardcore bands. And he was starting to kind of make his name like that. And I remember seeing him for the first time. It was like the solid state tour. He was on tour with the cherry. And he went on right before the cherry. I'm like, who's this dude? (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah and, and um and so around that time that's when he started getting more popular but um it seems like through uh touring a couple of years with him i ended up you know making friends with other folks like yourself yeah and i remember one of the first shows like you just you and tessa were playing together uh, I don't think you were married. I, I can't I can't remember if you were married yet or not. Well, she didn't play with me until we were married. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, sure. yeah. So um, so y'all are married, but you guys just had this like punk energy, and it was yeah. just you two. And and back then, people would just kind of form a circle around you two, and you beat the living crap of, out of your guitar. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I, you,
2: yeah, go go yeah. for it. Yeah. Oh, uh, I know. I completely like. And that was probably at the peak of my string breaking era. Um, at in those years, I was going through. I had three guitars on tour. I was breaking four to six strings a night. Um, just <laughs> sounds you know, accurate. Trying to like pull every ounce of volume out of an acoustic guitar that it would give me. Uh, completely, I'm sure, playing them improperly and and breaking them along the way. And uh, I, I'd say that was my most destructive period, but it wasn't because uh, a few years before that, I had learned that guitars make wonderful drums and <laughs> had taken to using my guitars as drums and swinging them over my head to end shows and throwing them across clubs and uh, yeah, doing whatever I could to like get an audience to pay attention, which is, uh, which is a pretty violent act. And so yeah. act two of my guitar destruction was breaking a ton of strings. And, uh
0: yeah. yeah and we were we, uh, and we were just like play shows with hardcore bands but i think by that time like like bands would be hardcore and heavy yeah. but it was like it was almost like if nothing is if, if everything is loud then nothing is loud yeah you, yeah you know what i mean um so when i we ran into you guys it was immediately like attention grabbing like oh my gosh yeah. like you had like you did a good job of making people pay attention because it's like, whoa, okay. And there's this, obviously this chemistry between you and, and Tessa. And so when, when both of you first started touring as uh, husband and wife, um, how was it bringing her along for the ride? Because I, from what I understand, you were touring
2: far before.
1: Yeah. All got I, together.
2: Had, I mean, I probably had, I've had a couple hundred shows on my own before she joined the band. Um, it was it was a learning curve. I I now, I mean I, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, so it was it's very interesting to look at it now. But at the time, it, I was a very like spontaneous musician. Like I rarely had set lists. I just kind of played whatever I wanted to and mm-hmm. and uh, would figure out you know read the audience and play the right right song hopefully. When she joined, I, we became very, very structured, which is mm-hmm. interesting to like, cause we were also like very like volatile and capturing, but it became like, as a solo artist, I, w- I had kind of found my, was starting to find my, my identity and ability to catch people. Mm-hmm. But when Tessa joined the band, we kind of regressed a bit uh, into where like, we had to figure out who we were again. And so one of the things we found is that we were playing with a lot of loud bands, and the crowds were fairly hostile to an acoustic duo. Mm. and so what we decided to do was we just wouldn't give any space so like because we found if we took if I took time to literally tune, somebody would walk out the door no. so since we needed to like make gas money and we just figured out well, we just won't give them a break and <laughs> so we we became a band that used sets and structure and predictability i think the first year we toured there was maybe 80 shows and it was the same five songs with one variable in the middle we could like you know choose which song to play Mm -hmm. and and just became very like it was kind of like a bit of a storm where it just kind of was was constantly getting wilder and wilder yeah but it also had like a very defined structure like remember some of our friends later were like who are super crazy band we're like, are you get some the promoter asked them, are you gonna play with Nate and Tesla tonight? They're like, no way, they're way too like <laughs> like structured <laughs> for us to like to hang with. So in in the midst of all the chaos, there was actually like defined rhythms that uh like for spinning and, and interacting with audiences and stuff that mm-hmm. that we really fed off of and used as kind of the jumping off point. Cause like with destroying allen, there's basically a, I say a 10% margin for like completely just screwing up. Like, mm-hmm. I really don't care uh, as long as we're having fun. So like, yeah. if it's a matter of going over and like interacting with an audience member and I totally forget where I'm at in the song, I don't, that's yeah. fine. Uh, you know, like screwing up the song because I don't know it, that's a different thing. But like, there's this just margin for like spontaneity and goofiness and, and joy Yeah. that uh, it kind of takes off some of the pressure. Mm-hmm. And also one of my like, kind of key things that kept it going um was I always wanted to do something new every night. So I was I re we recreated the show every single night in little tiny bits. So it's like like you have a hat on right now. And so like I'd walk up to somebody and like see if I could take off their hat. And like, you know, sometimes that's like all you need to do to get somebody to like have a weird memory. Uh right. Or all you have to do to get punched. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Well, exactly. Well, okay. Yeah. It's one or two things that yeah, happen. It's totally. either, it'll either disarm the person because they could be like sitting with their arms folded, yeah. totally uncomfortable. Hey, they're uncomfortable already because it's not your typical show. It's very yeah. interactive. So it's either they loosen up and they smile and they have fun, which is like not a lot of people smile in hardcore and punk rock yeah, yeah. or people just don't want any of it. Whatsoever. So, what's a time that you've tried to interact
2: and it just did not go well? Oh, well, I think my favorite, um, we, uh, like over the course of our touring. Uh, so, for for context for people, from two thousand eight to two thousand and thirteen, Tessa and I probably played about six hundred shows. Wow. Um, we were doing a, around one hundred and fifty a year, uh, and we were just were just. Road, Road Warriors, Um, and these shows were almost all unplugged. They were always like working with a, we're a di, we were a DIY punk band, like, and so we, you know, we were used to playing for twenty people, and when you're playing for twenty people and you're, you know, that's how you're getting your gas money. You're gonna do whatever, the hell it takes to like, to to win that audience, and so, Mm -hmm. at some point, we got better at like winning the audience, and then at some point, we got better at eliminating the people that weren't actually going to be into it Uh, they literally like peace off after a song be like oh crap i can't deal with this this (laughs) is like (laughs) way too happy i'm in a bad mood tonight like i can't deal with like this little tornado of like punk rock joy um but in that process of learning how to like how to read people essentially Mm -hmm. we had a guy in in new jersey that like you know, I'm, I'm that kind of person that if you, if I'm playing a destroying Allen set and you're like messing with me, I'll mess with you back. So mm. like, if you're like being playful, I take that as an invitation to play with you. Mm-hmm. And so he kept like, I think he kept like putting a chair in front of me or something. And I kept like, you know, I look at that as like an invitation to interact. So I kept yeah. interacting with him and uh, he was getting more hostile and, but we didn't realize it. We just were like, well, this guy's having fun with us. And Mm -hmm. then Tessa (laughs) was having the same interaction, having no idea this guy was actually not not being playful, but being like like combative. And so I was off, you know, spinning around in some corner of the room. And Tessa had uh, went up and sang in his face and he just decided to run out of the club. Um, But I didn't see this. And one thing I would do is if somebody's running to a door, I'll block their exit for like ten seconds for fun. Uh,
0: well, you also had wireless mics at one. Totally. Point. So like, i mean completely like <laughs> taking matter. advantage of all the
2: like the freedom in that. And uh, and I didn't know that this guy was actually running for the door. I thought he was just like walking out for a cigarette. And uh, I got in his way, and he was just sprinting for the door. And uh, I, I, you know, being me just put my feet down and started pushing back and uh basically gotten like a, a shoving match all the way till he got me out on the street and uh and then I came back in and you know never I never stopped playing I just kept going with it and uh but it was funny because later I was like what was that like I thought that guy was having fun and she's like I just had a weird interaction with him like I'm like oh wow. my back was turned I had no idea um so that was probably like mid-song one of my, there's. Just, dozens of stories of things that go really good and really bad
0: yeah in so i'm, I'm just happy nothing worse has happened oh i mean i've been i've been in
2: some fights for sure while you're playing uh let's see i've never been to fight while i was playing i've definitely been in fights at shows okay a handful of them i've almost there was a guy in texas that like Like, I, 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 my goal is to connect with an audience. So, like, so right now I'm playing a lot of quiet songs and shows. And so, my goal is to like figure out how to like pull everybody in from even like 20 feet away. Like, I want to like get them in there. Um, But in like a a small punk rock audience, I'm trying to read the person across the room to see if I make eye contact with them from 10 feet away. Is that enough? Yeah. Or do I need to get close to them? And it, it really varies. So, like, this guy was like, the crowd was just nuts it was just a perfect perfect house show in abilene texas and um it was just just nuts and but there's one dude with his arms crossed he was just like yep. the bad man and uh of course i just i want to mess with him because that's that's just what i do <laughs> and uh <laughs> and so like in this context like i i go up to him and i'm like getting close to him and he's just trying to like look serious in uh. And one thing I will do is I'll unbutton somebody's shirt uh, <laughs> mid-song. I only do it to a to a guy if I can see they have a shirt on underneath it. So like, yeah. But it's pretty funny to me to like get a hold of their buttons and like undress them. Uh, and I went to like reach for his button and it was, there was like a slap on the hand. <laughs> and I I knew that like if I if I went like another like movement towards him it was actually like going down yeah and uh and so he actually left after that song which was great because he was just totally a, a buzzkill and a completely... yeah he was bringing everyone down anyway yeah i mean everybody was wild it was a it was just totally a memorable show um
0: well i i find that like if you're at a show like that and everyone else is having a good like a great time yeah but you're the only guy in the room that's kind of like Sour, I don't think anyone wants you there.
2: No, probably, and like when I say we got better at getting people to leave, like we weren't intentionally ever being antagonistic, like tip, we'd be playful, but we're not like trying to actually make the audience not like us, right? It was just we got better at defining who we were from the first note, and so people could hear us and be like, Oh, this is totally awesome, or Oh, yeah, I'm not into this. And uh, Mm. there was a Danielson quote where they uh daniel said that people either love them or hate them uh so they either like are into there or they run out the door screaming basically and he's like either way we don't allow indifference yeah and so i think i would rather eliminate that 10% of indifference from a show than have that those people spoil the audience um experience for the other people so
0: it's almost like that Bible verse. You're neither hot nor cold. So you're, you're lukewarm. So I'll spit you out. It's just like, if you're just lukewarm, then what's as far as like a musician is yeah. concerned, you know, like trying mean, to find it, your angle of like how to get people's attention, whether it be like lyrics or music or how you are on stage, right? Well, I
2: think, I think like, I mean, we talked about Bradley. Like, I thought about him a lot specifically because I'm like, what, what makes a musician compelling to me? And I think at this point in my my life it's it's they have a personality that comes through. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, he was a he was pretty good at having his personality come through with yeah. within his poems and his songs uh, better than a lot of like folk musicians that I was experiencing at the time. So like so that's what like pulls me in. I think that if you, you for us being hungry kind of like made us have to figure out how to like get an audience to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes with time having to learn how to like pull people in and compel them but it's definitely like it's an ex, it's a, like a learning curve that i mean it took it took us some years to like figure out how to like win an audience or you know control a room or act in a way that people will be quiet yeah which are all separate skills
0: yeah in in going back like to the punk rock diy sort of thing was there any um like dreams of like bigger success or anything like that yeah um, and, and what did success look like to you
2: well i think there's there's definitely okay so there's i was i've never been the uh well my initial goals and most of my goals are were not and still aren't really to be a diy musician like mm-hmm. i think that's uh you know i i like working with people <laughs> and and so label and like uh, the communities that come with those sort of things always appeal to me yeah and also their their ability to like help support uh someone's career i think are really valuable so like i wasn't ever like i want to be a diy guy When I started out I'm still not that person but but along the way I was I I think I fell in love with some of the ethics along the way um but so that kind of like it 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 took success and made it like a little elusive and a little complicated because I mean at this point I've done thousand shows I'm not sure how many records uh probably 10 or something but like it really had to like figure out what success was for me because it wasn't, it wasn't the big kind of like stardom thing that I, I grew up listening to, and also the like music industry has has gone through these like massive revolutions of change. So like, mm-hmm. I started my first U.S. tour was in two thousand seven, which was approximately a year after you could go on tour and get a hotel uh, when you played music. Yeah. Uh, for me, as an independent guy, like just in the general market, that was I didn't I didn't get a hotel for the first couple hundred shows I played. Um, it was all sleeping in vans, and so mm-hmm. like, so that the money wasn't really there, and the the cool infrastructure wasn't there to like actually like become a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had to work on success being like peace inside of me, and then I think Tessa and I have been highly successful in having our memories be together mm-hmm. and our experience be together. So like, I could say, you know, I could, I could spend my career in another way and maybe make more money, but mm. I see people that make those decisions that end up with like broken marriages or like, yeah. Or just super like, you know, just big, big, big regrets. And so I think what we have not made and just being a real popular band uh i would i'd say we've traded that for it like working on our relationship and having memories together yeah ultimately you know when i look back at a decade of life that that's better to me than like having sold you know ten thousand more records or something yeah
0: and i think that going back to like the live performance as well like seeing you two and uh just how well you work together your your chemistry like it was like even like off stage, like stages is not true because you're on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like seeing how you two act with the, with each other. I remember coming up to you guys for like relationship advice. Like yeah. after the second day I met you cause like, it was just like, okay. I, I didn't really know y'all from Adam really, but yeah. like there's something real about that as well. So I would say like having that trade off whether it be like, quote unquote, like selling out in some way. Yeah. Um, cause there's different ways I think you could sell out. Like it's no longer like going to corporate America. Yeah. Like it could also be like selling out your ideals to hopefully yeah, totally. like a few thousand more records. Like, um, the past few weeks I've been talking to my old bandmates in the first hardcore band I was in, we had a deal with hopeless records, Nice, but, but it fell through for one reason or another. Like we're close to having it. And we are asking our lawyer be like, well, just make sure there's no one else interested so we can go ahead and do this.
1: Yeah. And
0: word went out to hopeless that we were like still kind of like leveraging that contract. They got upset and backed out. Oh man. But who's to say that if we would have done that, there would have been some sort of trade off. We wouldn't have wanted to make, you know, the, yeah. The coulda woulda shoulda you can always play that but like chances are if you're going to trade something in like your ability to do something on your own to having that exchange of help which sometimes is good yeah yeah great thing like for instance like we we came up like in cornerstone that the the christian music festival but it sounds like if you're not familiar with cornerstone and i say christian music festival like it sounds kind of corny at first yeah but it's a, it was actually really cool because it allowed people like us who had like punk rock and hardcore proclivities to be a part of something bigger and i think that's yeah. that's more important to have like your your scene at
2: least at least to me uh, yeah i think like i mean i i'm i'm a highly ethical person like i think that's something that i've learned like i'm like somebody like Ian MacKay from Fugazi really appeals yeah. to me because of the way he approaches things from an ethical standpoint. Like I still play all ages music shows and I am 37, like or 38 crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like uh, that is, is because of an ethical approach that I have to, to music in different ways? So like, like there's, there's elements that I know I wouldn't trade um, in the pursuit of success it's like if i i always like i've I've booked i'm my own booking agent so like i'm like man if i had a booking agent and he actually starts treating people badly i'm the kind of guy that will fire that agent um, yeah because treating people right is more important to me than than making a few bucks so like those sorts of things definitely like are are guiding forces for me Mm -hmm. but uh, i think you can still be a very like person with your set of ethics and your approaches and still work with you know people that you agree with
0: yeah sure um and then a little bit later uh you were no longer doing destroy nate allen with, with tessa you've, you've pivoted to good saint nathaniel and you've already kind of uh talked about how you're no longer playing these crazy raucous type of shows but you've quieted you've you've, you've quieted down your your sound but along with good st nathaniel as far as the timeline of in the music industry now it's less selling cds it's yeah stream streaming so um from from when you started in like oh six oh seven to now what's the biggest thing that you have seen um with how you do music and it really like this sounds bad but it's the only way i can uh uh say about like market or sell yourself
2: yeah, I mean, I think, like, Daddy. give me a second. Okay. Yeah, Elby? Daddy, I love you, you. I, I, I'm on the phone call right now, Elby.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm getting paged by my three-year-old, but she's okay. Um, <laughs> so do you need to re- rephrase no. the question? Okay, okay. Oh, do you want me to? No, I'm fine. Okay. Um, so, what has changed? I mean, I think we're we're just completely like, we're two months into COVID nineteen, and so the the industry just completely like, changed again. Um, yeah. So, I think that that is another thing where I think uh, live performance and rock clubs and disposable income is just not going to be the same like it was. So, I have no idea what it will look like uh, going forward. Um, I can speak to the last maybe five to ten years and how that shifted yeah. where i mean i i do my own marketing so like i i notice like I, I get like a, a flow and then come back to a couple years later and all of a sudden marketing is different you know mm-hmm. uh, you know all it used to be phone calls now it was emails now people just want facebook messages i mean they just kind of like those sorts of things shift um i i know people like to talk a lot of crap about spotify
1: Hmm
2: uh within their income streams because we do ban finances i know people actually do make a decent amount of money from spotify yeah. and so i think being able to learn how to leverage that well is uh is kind of the career maker at this point because mm-hmm. if, if you're not like a if you can't tour and right now nobody's touring like yeah. you're basically living out your like career on the internet and so i think I, I had a goal of trying to figure out how to, like, you know, increase and build my Spotify numbers with the new record. And I, I, the Good Saint Nathaniel record doesn't have a lot of streams. Um, mm-hmm. And it's I don't think it's because I was talking about this with somebody a few weeks ago. Like, I think the subject matter is just really, really intense. And so it's not like a put on when you're driving around town record. Um, I'm sure the only person that puts it on when they're driving around town is me. Uh, <laughs> Cause my, my kids fall asleep to my music. Uh, that's like their preferred like way to like take a nap. So, yeah. uh, so I, I jam my stuff all the time for them. Uh, but I think like seeing people that figure out how to like have the right audience for streaming. Cause I think it's another thing is audiences are really different. So like my friend, Kevin Schlereth mm. has like we're you know similar scenes similar ages uh similar in a a decent amount of ways you know both have kids both kind of incorporate the family dynamics into music uh his audience is a little younger than mine Mm -hmm. and a little more streaming so he's like he's running a big campaign to get like a ton of streams all year long and i'm like well i try that like it doesn't really work uh but you know i probably sell more books than he does so it's like so learning like what your niche is, I think is really important. Like I I find that like people more than ever need to like figure out what their distinctive is and and lean Mm -hmm. into it. So, I mean, some people, maybe that means they're, they're super good on YouTube or they're really good on, on, I say like figure out what social media platform you're great at and use it, Mm -hmm. figure out what sets you apart um, and do that really well. Yeah. And so we are in enough communities that i know that like some people are making a lot of money off music that have crap spotify numbers um mm-hmm. and some people are doing really well that like you know only have youtube plays and so like figuring out where your audience is i think is more key now than ever has been because like it's just it's just cutthroat
0: yeah in where you're talking about like your record now come compared maybe to uh, destroy Nat, nate allen yeah. stuff because like you you did have serious songs as oh yeah like, with the quote unquote solo like nate allen destroy nate allen totally like, but i think the difference is with good saint nathaniel is that you're getting deep
1: like, yeah, yeah you're
0: talking about really big like theological questions yeah and a light about life and and having doubts and and whatnot totally but in but I think what could be the the thing about this is that as you're getting deeper, the people who are with you are getting deeper with you rather oh. than it just being like surface
2: No, it's it's, it's are you finding that like,
0: yourself? What? Are you finding that yourself? Like yeah. uh, the reaction
2: with the record? People only they tend to write me really personal messages about how impactful they things have been. I, mm-hmm. I don't really, I rarely get like, a, oh, I just like your songs, dude. They're pretty cool. Like, <laughs> that's just not the, the kind of interaction I get. It's more like, oh, man, I've been listening to you all day and I, I just can't stop listening. And this is doing so much, like, this is meaning so much to me, like, in my heart. Like, that's mm-hmm. the kind of interaction I get. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, so I think ultimately more valuable, but the whole project, it's been a, complete paradigm shift because destroying it Allen, a good show ends in like a torn, like a big old group hug of people sweating all over each other and like laughing and walking up to me saying they've had the time of their life. And, uh, you know, they just can't believe what just, they just experienced. That's like the pinnacle of those shows. Um, With good St. Nathaniel, a show tends to be, people experience it they they they, they kind of like sit with it and then th- they'll either come up and say something very pro- pro- personal mm-hmm. or they will say nothing and they'll leave <laughs> like and, I'll, and yeah. ultimately i'll sell about the same amount of merch as i would from either expression um but that they go to such different spots mm-hmm. that one is a very like joyful experience and one's a very personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, like outward maybe like extroverted introvert is a better way to look at it but like yeah so it's is a totally different like dynamic and uh yeah it, it's taken me a while, a while to like process like oh man like that cool feedback loop that used to happen where i you know throw a big party and people come up and they're all excited mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore or it does no. exist because we still we still do this bernie allen shows okay um, we did one that was our last like show before COVID it was really destroyed Alan Allen show. Um, so that still exists, but it's not the, it's not been the primary focus for a while. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, I think that that leads us as a, a good segue to answer some questions. So Go I got a few, a, a few questions in from some uh, listeners, mostly about the music industry and the first one uh, you kind of touched on a little bit. Um, so what do you think the future of live music will be considering quote-unquote the new normal? How will the industry adapt to the ongoing virus? Are you going to see a lot of outdoor concerts? <laughs> that that <laughs> yeah. will be popular. You know, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even really think about that. Oh, um, Yeah. Uh, one thing that's happening here, at least in Nashville, because, you know, Music City, um, they're doing drive-through concerts like Keith Urban did one for first responders. And then, like, Michael W. W. Smith <laughs> is doing an outdoor concert like that. Interesting. Well. But no, that's I didn't even think about that like, yeah. as far as, like, the main thing.
2: There's going to be outdoor shows so people can, you know, stay six feet away from each other and, and go sit in a, a park or a house or something. Um, I think that's, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what clubs are going to be like. I would I would say unless there's some sort of large-scale government intervention in the next year you're going to see like a significant portion of of small music clubs just disappear. It's uh, already starting too. Right? Yeah, I mean it, clubs are closing down, places we played are gone um already and I think it's just going to like it'll wipe out like anybody without a serious amount of uh financial savings. we mm-hmm. uh, We'll just disappear. Um which i think will make music ultimately more competitive for to get shows yeah um once it's safe i think house shows will be bigger than ever
1: mm-hmm. uh, as
2: far as um a performance opportunity but i mean that's also like a huge a bigger risk i'm like man i could totally throw shows in my basement but, but... that means i got to let people in my house yep uh, <laughs> with kids and i'm like that's a whole different that's a that's a question you know that's a big one yeah so I think those are the two like performance aspects that are going to shift. I don't know like I mean I think that the music industry will be unrecognizable pretty soon. And I think if this lasts, you know, another 6 months or a year or two, I think it'll be you pretty much won't see any touring for a couple of years. Oh, that's um, that's wild. I mean, and I think like I think of it from a liability perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really we have a friend who works for Boy Scouts, and he was they he helped, helps do summer camps, and uh, they they were talking to an event space, and he's like, you know, that they normally rent out for these big summer events. I'm like, oh yeah, you can totally be here if you can guarantee that there's absolutely no way that if somebody catches COVID nineteen,
1: they can bring into <laughs> the
2: liability back on us. Yeah, uh, from a financial or you know ethical standpoint or whatever, mm-hmm. and I think that's the main question, like my friends that own clubs are just like, we're scared to death because, you know, we, we basically work in this business where you're either selling alcohol or you're selling like a personal experience yeah. Uh, that, that is like intimate uh, physically. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I think until there's some sort of like clarity um, internationally, maybe around like how to, what is actually like, how do you catch COVID? How do you not mm-hmm. like, how do you prevent it? I think that you're gonna just not see really a music industry uh, from a performance standpoint. Um, it's gonna be like a, some probably really famous people will do drive in theater shows. Yeah. Yeah. Some creative, scrappy people will throw some shows in houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in between, I don't know what will really exist. So, besides streaming, and obviously people are playing on their computers a lot, um, which I think that will get bigger than ever for the next at least couple years. So
0: yeah like the influx of people um streaming online you know just like with their iphone it's it's it was out of necessity like yeah touring, like it's like oh crap my tour fell through how can i totally and i mean
2: rent you're yeah you're like the majority of musicians live paycheck to paycheck or gig to gig so of course they're streaming we we don't that's not what we do for financial you know security at this point so like I haven't done any streaming yet uh, of shows. I, I want to, because I, I love playing and connecting with people. Yeah. But we've had other things to work on. And, uh, so it's like, okay, well, we'll get that later, because it's probably going to be going on for a while. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: Versus I, I, my perspective is that if I stream, you know, start streaming in June, it's still as relevant as it is. And I'm a, I'm, probably a third wave streamer. Mm-hmm. Um, versus like my first adapter.
0: Right. Well, at least, at least you'll be hopping on at a a certain point. Yeah. And I think a couple things. So as far as like venues are concerned, like, I think they'll have to get really creative, like according to the law, of course, right. Um, it's either with, uh, asking for premium for ticket prices, like say, if you were to play a show at a normally like 300 capacity room. Yeah, that might have to be cut down to like a hundred or seventy-five. Yeah. Well, at what point is it? Does it make sense to charge more for just like a local show? Totally, like just to make things work out financially. Like <laughs> maybe this will um, finally kill the five-dollar show. Yeah, Ian Ian McKay's rolling uh, in his bed, not in his grave because he's not dead yet, but nah. he's he's definitely. Uh, and now
2: Fugazi had ten-dollar shows. I don't I don't think like and he he actually talks I've heard him talk about like whether that was necessarily the right decision or not but it was the one they made so so did they change it from five to ten I think it was ten at some point Mm -hmm. I think like and I mean he's I've I've listened to different interviews where he kind of like keeps he kind of talks about keeping discord records running so that because he has a responsibility to the acts that signed to him Mm -hmm. because some of them could have made a lot more money by going with places with different ethical approaches and so yeah. like what he can do is keep selling their records to like do the best he can to like pay them okay
0: yeah oh i thought you mean about the live show because the live yeah. show was five bucks we selling the records for the cds for like 10 or something because oh, it know. was pretty lo- something no, i mean like i think
2: the live show i'm not sure what would i mean what it would be now i know that it might have been 10 bucks or something yeah. at some point Yeah, but but... honestly like man if i if i just had five bucks from every single show i played i mean i'd feel like a very rich man on a whole lot of (laughs) tours yeah that that would have been like a game changer for me or for us
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, because normally i mean we have made far less than that on an average tour so yeah yeah, and then um and
0: as far the I think what you were talking about last about like um streaming is a segue to the next next question. So um uh, with everyone going live and creating more content online, do you think it'll become saturated?
2: Yeah, I think it totally is. Um I think it's been a kind of a building wave over the last couple of years, I think like even like like when i was first touring it it kind of got easier to tour for people they kind of figured out some of the ways to do it so like there started to be more bands and i mean i think back in a long time ago you had like be willing to do the the put the time in of phone calls and planning and then it became easier with the internet like and Mm -hmm. you know people are learning how to put out their own records and you know, I mean, how many thousands of people are making records at home right now? And yeah. some of those are going to win huge awards and be super successful. Like, and they're making them in their bedrooms. Uh, so I think that there will be a saturation point. I think, like, I don't know what it looks like once everybody's just like, there's so much music. What can I decide to do? I know, like, I mean, we're, we're older. I mean, you and I both have kids. It's, it's hard to listen to music at this point in my life, it's hard to really sit down and consume and and soak with the record. I mean, yeah. I know I probably had 10 albums that came out last month that I really wanted to listen to that I haven't uh, yeah. already. Just because I don't I don't have the space in life to actually listen. I don't have a like a drive to work or a a moment where I can, you know, spend an hour with the record. And I have a kid that wants, you know, a diaper change or something.
1: Yeah. So
2: like I think that To answer the question, I think it totally will get saturated and I don't know. I think it'll be more and more important to figure out how to break through that noise. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think it'll going into like deep with your niche, I think is is really going to be more important, like figuring out who your people are Mm -hmm. and how to directly connect with them. Uh, Yeah. Because putting just content out into the sea of like, you know, Facebook feeds. Which I which I like, and I think that actually is an effective way to promote some things, but like, you know, that that's not enough to like keep a career or get a record out is to just like put a post up and, uh, you know, hope that it can break through all the noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does that answer the question?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think it really does, like, because I kind of feel like with so many people in the world, like you're bound to find someone who's into like what you're doing. Um. So I think it's just a matter of just like, keep going in on what you're like, you're saying what your niche is or telling your story really, because like there's only one Nate Allen in the world. That's, that's you that has like totally particular point of view. And I think that's, that's all we've got.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it really like, And I think like, I I mean, there's, I get I'm sure you get get ads on Facebook to like how to find your core audience, stuff like that. I get, I get those a bunch. And uh, When I, my last record, I had a bunch of conversations with publicists before I released it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And they all told me that I nailed my target audience perfectly. Like I knew who my people were going to be. Yeah. And then I, but then even going out with like the knowledge of like, I'm going in the right direction it's still proved to be a very uphill battle to like try to get somebody to like engage deeply or to like, Mm. you know, spend time with something they don't know. Uh, yeah. So I think it needs to be viewed as, as a, a marathon, not a sprint. I think that's kind of like the, the approach I take to creativity in general. Like, Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm going to put, you know, Lord willing, I'm gonna put out a bunch more records, yeah, like and you know hopefully play a lot of more a sh- lot more shows and do a lot more creative things in my life so like mm-hmm. for me, putting out an album is not the the completion of the creativity it's it's a stop on the creativity, yeah, and I think in terms of like breaking through the noise, like I mean I put out a video a few a few weeks ago, and I'm like. You know, it gets this like initial buzz. And I'm like, and then this the hardest part of the marketing for me is to figure out how to present that again and again
1: mm-hmm.
2: um in a way that feels authentic and feels like I'm actually like marketing it well. Because mm-hmm. to actually get it get it done right and get the audience it needs, it needs like, you know, you need four or five pushes to get something right. And I think like for me that's the part that feels the most self-indulgent it feels really okay to like go post a video online yeah it feels kind of hard to like make the other posts to like get the rest of the audience to pay attention to it yeah and so i think like that's going to be more important to figure out how to like connect with your people and then pull them in and have them go on the journey with you um i think that 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 will be the like defining factor between The person who puts out a record and and disappears or the person who ultimately builds some sort of sustainable uh artistic body of work
0: yeah do you think with all of this like on all of these online concerts and and even more out musical output that audiences are going to turn away from it and tune out or do you feel like that they're gonna they're gonna take a chance on someone at the uh that's doing like online show or putting out like do you think the the way that audiences are consuming music is going to change or like oh it's just matt or nate on camera again and whatever yeah
2: <laughs> i think it's i think well there's two things you, you kind of hit on like will an audience tune out if you've done too much yeah they will um that's just the the nature of the human psyche uh, mm-hmm. But within getting an audience, I think it's it's still it's still a perception game. Like, like I can, I think that's like ninety percent of music marketing is this, is the psychology of how to like get an audience to think they you think you're cool. <laughs> like, I mean, that's really? like that, yeah. that's what I think it is. Like, I think record labels are tastemakers, and they they put a stamp on a band that says this band is cool. Now go like them and tell your friends about them. Like Mm -hmm. when we, we, we've never been on Asian mad records, but we have worked with bands in that world to where some of that audience has become our audience. Mm -hmm. And the closer we are to like a label like that, the more success kind of just kind of drains in. Like Mm -hmm. my most popular song on some streaming platforms it's called My Parents Managed Departments. Uh-huh. Uh, it was on a No Sleep Records comp in 2008. Yeah. Uh, it's Good the timing. only, like, cool <laughs> label thing I've maybe ever done. Yeah. And I still have people that walk up to me in bars and they're like, dude, that you put that song out and, like, that comp, and it was awesome. And I'm like, you know, that's the only association we ever had with that label. Um, yeah. It was a very small download in, like, the the course of their you know collective works but people's perception was oh i should go check out this band and it helped so i think like whatever people whatever turns someone's perception from oh this is a band i've heard about to this is a band that i should like and my friend should like Mm -hmm. i think that is still going to be the like defining factor on how far somebody can take an audience will they stream one song or will they stream a record or will they buy you know Will they back a Kickstarter when they have some money? Like, will they walk down the path with them? Um, is really the relationship and the perception that they should. Um, so it's either it's either a perception or a relationship. Those are the only ways I think you build an audience.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, you kind of hit on something as far as like being on the no sleep thing. Of course, like the perception of no sleep—that's that's something, yeah. right? But also, maybe this is the time to build relationships with other artists and and bands especially since we're like all i was about to say it we're all in this together but like (laughs) (laughs) but like really like everyone's home now totally um and and really if you're not like candy with garage band or something else like you're not making a record or a song for a while at least like in the more like rock centric yeah um, genres because i feel like there are. Sixteen, seventeen-year-old like uh, SoundCloud rappers who are just killing it
2: because they're more they're more punk rock than oh totally. But no, they're good. Like they're like I went to South by Southwest a few years ago, and I mean like the hustle of the the SoundCloud rap crew of people was just like one. It just had just, there was a ton of courage. They were just like not afraid to like walk up and tell you to listen to their music. Mm-hmm. And and two, they were just like everybody had a camera and everybody was creating content the whole time. I mean, they probably rolled out their created a year years worth of content in like a couple of days there because yeah. they were like with it. And so I think like yeah, you have to learn how to like adapt and and work on your own at this point. It's the only way to like put out records. I mean, if you if you can't figure out how to like, I mean, you have a fifty eight there. Like if you can't figure out how to make a record. Um, at this point and you're stuck at home for some months i mean y- you're not using youtube right
0: google youtube
2: <laughs>
0: you can make a whole record just uh i mean i'm not i'm not saying I'm,
2: I'm not an engine i'm not a good engineer i'm i'm an okay one uh but i i mean i can ask questions and figure out what i'm doing wrong and what i've been mm-hmm. right and uh that's kind of been my processes <laughs> i just figured
0: yeah. out well but what's great, as far as like being in the, within the realm of possibility for you, like you could yeah. make an iPhone recording record.
2: Oh, totally, and it would work. I mean, I, I could, I could make. I mean, I've, I've released things people didn't like them, uh, I liked them, but that were recorded <laughs> on my old phone, and uh, I had a split actually with Insomniac Folklore that they, they all wanted. They all recorded nice songs and I, I went and recorded everything on my phone and uh and I sent it to them and they're like, dude, this is all like clipping and bad. I'm like, no, it sounds awesome. They should I, know you I, by now. You know, I wanted that like that nasty, uh I mean I some some part of me loves the like that lo-fi tape hiss, uh, yeah. Kind of like 1950s, everything's falling apart sound. Uh I like that sometimes a lot
0: yeah but i think what's what's great about like you like if, if someone were to sit down and listen to everything you've done there's like some stuff that's produced really well totally. and some stuff that's not but it's like but I, to me it feels like each thing serves a purpose like yeah. it's a purposeful like decision
2: well i think like i mean i put out i'm not i, I don't know the current number but probably between 120 and 150 songs and uh like even on a record that I'm not happy with overall, like there's still moments that I wouldn't trade. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we totally nailed that song. Yeah. Or like, there's a couple, like, I can look back and like, oh man, I really like would have, you know, made a different creative decision. Yeah. But, you know, in that, in a record, I, you know, I'll get a text from somebody like, oh, my kids are loving your, that old record you made. It's like they're, they want to listen to it in the car every time we get in the car. And I'm yeah. like, wow, I, you know, I, my perception is one thing, and uh but it means something to somebody and uh yeah and i think that that only comes from kind of getting it out and letting people mm-hmm. kind of decide what they want to do with with the art
0: yeah so this will be my last question then we can go on to dad duty or Ooh. going to sleep
2: <laughs> i'm not going to sleep i've got it i'm writing a book right now i'm staying up late.
0: Well, okay, then I'm going to give you two questions. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about the book at the end here. But um, you you talked, you said a word courage, and this the word courage is actually in this question. So okay. it's, this is awesome. Serendipity, fate, whatever. Um, Same <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Um, so last one. Um, as a creator, uh, how do you find the courage to keep creating and putting out content when it can feel like oversaturation. So talking about the whole yeah. idea of oversaturation but still doing it.
2: An artist needs an audience. It's it's part of the deal. So I I write songs and part of my process is to present those to other people. And that might mean that 30 people stream a video, like or, you know, 20 people buy a product like But part of my creative process is to present that to an audience. And I think that that's valuable to them. And that's valuable to me. It kind of creates the, it completes the feedback loop Mm -hmm. of the project. Like I will make an album and I'll have a press cycle and I will work through what that album means to me and So it's like, I'll create, I'll write a song, I'll perform it, I'll record it, I'll release it. That song might mean something very different at the end of that release cycle to me and to other people. Like I Mm -hmm. I write like some of my favorite, like pieces of content (laughs) tumble out at the very end of the cycle sometimes. And so I think like part of going through the complete arc of a creative project is realizing that there's value in all of that and so even though like yeah there's a whole lot of like saturation you know lots of people put records on bandcamp and lots of people put songs on spotify but realizing that like that's only one part of the creative process and to to present that to your audience is a valuable and valid thing and to present that well like i'm a marketer i love telling people about stuff like that's like core to who tessa and i are is like we like to tell people stuff like it's not like hey i'm i don't think it's hey i'm mr narcissist um it's more like i just like to tell you about what i think is cool and so like if i like your band like you know i i will tell my friends about your band like if Mm. i like think you do a good job i mean this is anybody in general like if i think you do a good job and i notice that and it comes up in conversation i will tell somebody oh you should check out this Epic metal solo on this, you know, whatever record. Um, yeah. Like that's just part of who we are. And so that comes into our process is like, even though it's sometimes super terrifying to put music out into a saturated world, um, learning that it's a, it's a valuable thing. And, and if you're like, I don't want to put out music because I'm afraid not enough people will listen to it, mm-hmm. um, one, probably get a little better at marketing, maybe have somebody help you with that. And yeah. two, realize that there is there's more reasons to complete the artistic process than just to like make a lot of money Mm -hmm. and uh and i think that i think it's valuable even if you're you know only getting a thousand people to stream your record or a hundred people or uh, i think like and even if you're like i can't get anybody to listen like watch some videos about marketing figure out how to like make a video um Mm -hmm. figure out how to do some of the things that Will capture someone's attention uh, beyond what your current skill set is. I've been working on a video the last couple of years. Like, that's like been my new thing. To be like, oh, I don't know how to make a video. Yeah. Now I've made a few that I've you know edited and cut it myself and sent out in the world, and they do okay. I I would encourage because I didn't know you did those all yours all yourself. I didn't do all of them. I, there is okay. a couple of like the, the super pro ones that my uh, my guys did, but I, I made a few of myself. Well,
0: like there's still value to learning these things right totally. even just from like if you really want to do that professionally like learning how to cut a simple video can take you can take you a long way <laughs> totally. um, and just getting pieces along along the way right because yeah um and really as far as like the reasons why you do something um for instance like you're writing a song like of course there's some people whose jobs it is is to sell a song. I mean, I yeah. live in a town where that's one of the main industries like yeah. the, the music industry. That that's one thing. That has its place. I'm not demonizing it for any any reason. But if you're an artist trying to release music, like you still have to express yourself totally. in some way. And I think that can be scary for people like feeling maybe if they might feel like they're being judged.
1: Yeah, but really, like you, like, are.
0: you are. No, that that I mean, was my like, next thing I was going to say. You're definitely are getting judged. Yeah. Someone's going to like it or they're not.
2: That's judgment. <laughs> I mean, I I think like I I the last I put out some very vulnerable music that terrifies me, um, because of its vulnerability. To the last couple of years, so like, it, I mean, it, it's definitely a a thing that you have to like feel like it's a, a worthwhile investment of yourself. Like, I I see why. You know, River Rivers from Weezer. Is it Rivers or River from Weezer? Rivers, Rivers. Like why he put out Pinkerton and then didn't put out another vulnerable record ever. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I get that. Like, yeah. Um, because I put out vulnerable records and I realize there's there's a toll to that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think you can put out a lot of honest art uh and not go as far as I have, like to where you're like needing to go to therapy to release a record. Um. Like, and it's still a valuable thing that the world needs. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a. I think people are are uh, under undersell their value or under underestimate their like contribution to like like when they're like when you create art, give it to somebody, <laughs> get mm-hmm. out in the world, and you'll find that that means something to someone. Um, yeah, like people that I'm not a fan of their voices put out records. And they have friends that make really wonderful comments about them mm-hmm. and they're encouraged by it. I'm like, huh, well, I don't get it. It's not my deal, but it means something to their audience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For sure. And along with that, with, with creating vulnerable music, cause like this, this is something that I personally struggle a little bit. Cause I feel like I could go like 10 steps over 10 steps more over the line as far as like the overshare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I feel like a lot of my stuff kind of nips that right in the bud and it doesn't go far enough. Yeah. There, right, because of like not so much uh as far as like judgment, but like sometimes you might get a question like, "Oh, is this song about me or who's this yeah. song about?" and then all of a sudden you're like, uh <laughs> 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 do I want to answer that question because it could hurt like a potential like relationship but the totally. stuff that you're putting out like i'm like asking really like deep theological questions and sometimes like people are asking you i'm sure you can tell me if i'm wrong but like i can imagine some questions you might have had of, like oh are you all right is yeah.
2: everything okay no i uh <laughs> i actually like um halfway through a tour last year i i just i um i can't put the phrase the celebration of survival mm-hmm. um, and and it's actually was one of those things i stumbled on i was like oh my gosh that totally like encapsulates this project i'm, I'm gonna roll with that now for a while yeah uh it stumbled out on a, of a t-shirt it's uh i almost thinking about it still um but the like the concept of like taking like this difficult project and difficult music and like yeah i'm okay like I'm actually better than I used to be. Like you have no idea how much healing I've done from the person who couldn't talk about faith or vulnerable things. And the person who can sing about them on stage. Like, Mm. I mean, the reason I ended up in therapy the first time um, was a very, I had a little problem. I had essentially written a record about my Christian faith experience that was so vulnerable that every time I performed the songs I was triggered in myself and I would go away completely emotionally exhausted. And, and I just had to like, I couldn't do it. So like, I'd, I only performed a handful of times and it was really, really devastating to me. Mm And which is a problem when you're somebody who likes to perform music, (laughs) like, like I can't, I can't be a quiet solo guy. Like right now, I can't sing these songs that are really difficult and complicated. Um, and so why that ended up triggering me to go to therapy to figure out why is this such a deal for me and um i learned like probably the last six years or so i've been processing the fact that I'm, i've been the victim of a bunch of spiritual abuse mm-hmm. and so like realizing like how to go from victim to survivor has been an uphill battle and um I and mean, there's still songs on that record that i think are really really vulnerable to play and sometimes i won't play them um and but it also it depends on the audience like yeah i mean i'm not going to play a song questioning like like how difficult christians are to deal with in a loud bar where people are just going to be like kind of like somewhat obnoxious yeah like but i will play that in a quiet listening room where people are really pondering and opening their hearts mm-hmm. um, so i really like look at what is the what's the right way to approach an audience i think that's another thing like some types of music just needs to be played in certain kinds of rooms, uh, mm-hmm. and so re- recognizing where you're at, where your audience is, you know, like I was touring with a a loud bluesy rock band last year, like I was pl- I booked the tour to fit their strength, not mine, which yeah. meant we were playing loud clubs, and I when I would try to be, I wouldn't say oversharing, but when I would try to be really vulnerable, I would end up feeling like. Like I had really just kind of thrown my heart out and nobody really paid attention. And mm-hmm. so what I did is I, I was like, well, I've, I also have this whole bag of rock and roll tricks. So I just pulled out a bunch of those. And uh, you know, like, I think one of my shows that was, was a horrible show for me, like emotionally, I was up and down. It was really weird, but uh ended up, you know, taking off my nice uh, button shirt that I was wearing and whipping it around my head and <laughs> screaming and yelling a bunch. And as after singing like songs that are loosely about really difficult, vulnerable things and uh but like I kind of incorporated the two things where like then I was like the rock and roll dude on stage because it was the appropriate way to play and pull in an audience yeah um so I don't know if that uh answers the question but there's some thoughts well
0: the keyword was courage and I'm sure it took courage to do that after you're playing yeah. these
2: like yeah I mean just <laughs> it's scary I I get scared <laughs> but then I realized I, I can do it you know um I mean I've been playing things that terrified me for the better part of you know I guess 14 years now sometimes well and you're
0: and you're and you're still doing it um and then you you mentioned a book so yes. um is is the book like uh like an auto like about you like what what what's the subject of the book
2: Um, it's called launching landing and moving forward it is a practical guide to navigating life's transition seasons Mm -hmm. so kind of going through kind of the preparing to leave the getting to a new space and then how to navigate forward from like uh anything disrupting your life to like having forward momentum so like things from grieving and addiction and trauma are all covered in the book. Um, So it's really a kind of a, an overview of my last like five years of, of information gathering. And Mm. also it touches on like the correlations between things I've learned in therapy and things I've learned being a rock and roll musician yeah, or things I've learned in other, like, you know, faith communities or whatever, like, like kind of what the, what the common threads are. And yeah. one of my friends was reading it and he's like, it really kind of is like a practical, like it's like you explaining what's worked when things haven't gone the way you wanted them to. And so <laughs> uh, it's, it's cool. I, I put a couple hundred copies out last year as to, to find out if there was an audience for the book mm. and it became my number one selling merch item. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. So there is an audience for a book and it's, I mean, I would, I'd, I'd sell. You know, I would just, I would just outsell everything I had on my table every, every show. Um, and so I, I did that. And then a couple months ago, I sent it to an editor to give me like feedback before we make it an official thing. Yeah. And so I've been working on that. Uh, when, so we're in the final phases of the like pre-launch right now. Yep. Um, as far as just getting the content tightened up. Um, and so I'd say everything right now, there's, there's a couple more copies of the book I have on my website, but like, and I think they're good, but the new version is is just a little tighter and has more of my stories in it. So instead of like being an autobiography of my like rock and roll journey, which, you know, maybe that'll come out someday, but it's more of a, it would be more in the self help um, category of of books. Yeah. and I like it a lot. It's, uh. I, before I was a musician, I was a writer, and uh, I don't think I. And then, then I kind of like switched over. So I'm like now I'm like maybe I'm becoming a writer again, who also puts out songs. Yeah, one of my favorite pieces of merch ever. Um,
0: have you heard of Jonah Matranga? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've played a handful of shows with him, and before I moved to Tennessee, I think it was the last show I played with my band. We played with him playing far songs nice but he still uh so we had some far stuff out and he had some solo stuff out but he had a book which was an autobiography of his life but he's so personal like in his songs like he was able to grab like lyrics from all from his career and link them to his story so there was like um, just hit my mic there was a (laughs) there was a connection there totally. and, and and he's built a c- career with that connection, so I think when it comes to like folks like him and like you like either making the connection with screaming in someone in the crowd's face yeah. or you know talking about deep things like I think for for people who are more introspective and have lyrics that are more personal, like maybe that is a really good idea like to put it down on the written word too yeah um it doesn't even have to be written either like we could like i could literally make a small book of our conversation just by like sending it into a transcriber
2: (laughs) i did that uh i had my lyrics transcribed in the last record um from from somebody and uh i think it's fun I, i i actually had uh various things of like interviews i'll take i'll take like a zine that'll just be like a conversation i've had with somebody Mm. um i think it's totally a valuable thing i think i think even in the terms of finding your audience like for me this book has been a huge like kind of process but also kind of extension of who i am Mm -hmm. like i I care deeply for people or i wouldn't be you know like sharing with them at this point um and so I think the book is like, in some ways, it's a companion to my last record, Hide No Truth, in that I felt like Hide No Truth is a really vulnerable record, and people see those uh, concerts and they like they're deeply moved, um, generally deeply moved to introspection, but mm-hmm. also to like deep empathy and deep pondering, and I felt like it was only fair to give that audience member or something else to, to ponder mm-hmm. like so like oh i've actually just sung about a lot of stuff that you now will might change your life like you might end up in therapy like that was like <laughs> yeah a couple years ago like i think it was maybe last summer like i got done with with tour and then i went and i wrote a bunch of scripts on how people could find therapy like that was like literally the like the post-tour work and so this book is an extension of that it's like oh you you've been pondering like what the what the hell are you gonna do in your life you're a musician and your industry just completely imploded um what should you do and so this is like some practical tools on like how can you process and move forward uh and it's relevant to everybody not just musicians there's there's a lot there's some tour stories in there and stuff and some fun lyrics like jonah which is fun mm. i didn't know he did that uh, <laughs> but like yeah. it's overall it's a, it's a practical guide like of of information to like people to digest and and read through
0: that's awesome so i i think the time has come to to wrap this up but um if someone wants to find you on spotify and whatnot how how do they do that how do they how can they get a
2: hold of you look up Good St. Nathaniel. That's, that's the the latest, uh, look up Destroy Nate Allen though. They all have pretty robust web platforms and websites and stuff. So if you find one, you'll be able to figure out a way to get to the other. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I think, I think good Nathaniel.com is a good place to start. Um, but, uh, you can start in a lot of places these days, I guess. There you go,
0: and 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 really, if if someone out there wants to really dive deep and get to know someone through their music, like I, there's so many stories, even in like in Destroy Nate Allen songs and how you met Tessa and how yeah. you guys like like it's you really are in an open
2: book. <laughs> yeah, no, we we uh, we joke about um, like some musicians are are pretty compartmentalized they're either really vulnerable on stage and then they're like really shy off stage or they're very uh you know they just kind of have these big boundaries set up we we have boundaries but they are not between who we are on stage and who we are off stage so like so we try to make our art an extension of our process so like you know when I'm singing songs about cooking or being silly it's because that's how we actually live our life. Like, I mean, our, our life's a bit of a musical, uh, for sure. Uh, and so, I think that, that that's something that we value is that authenticity all the way through, like the, the cohesiveness of our our story. Be real, people. Be, Be real. Take courage. You can do it. Especially,
0: especially through these uh, troubling times. Yeah, so. people need it. I mean, I
2: think that. Artists have the ability to tap into their emotional experience and and make something out of it. And I think a lot of people who are maybe not artists, I guess, need, need language to process these times. And artists are the ones that provide the language. So I think it's super important. Right.
0: For sure. And I, I I totally agree with that. Um, Especially um, because I read an article about, what sort of songs that music publishers are looking for oh, I saw that too. you saw and they're like happy
2: songs i'm like mm. <laughs> yeah maybe for I, a moment <laughs> i tweeted that out. i was like i guess i screwed that up uh, <laughs> but you know honestly i did put out a, a really happy song a few weeks ago called old guitar and the local radio station wrote me like this is totally the kind of song people need right now so they played it but, there you uh, go. It served I, its purpose. I found more catharsis <laughs> and deeper connection singing about very deep vulnerable things. So I don't know. I, I like that I can do both and i am you can ponder what you need to uh, depending on your mood with my music. So.
0: Well, right on. Well, well, thank you so much for spending yeah. uh, your night with me and it was good to see you.
2: Totally.
1: With my old guitar full of memories and got some scars pulls us close when we feel far i'm so happy with my old guitar it's fulfilled wishes and processed pain been soaked in the water of the portland rain helps make sense when i feel mundane i'm so happy with my old guitar i'm so happy with my old guitar full of memories and got some scars pulls us close when we feel far I'm so happy with my old guitar Been abused in anger and a tool for love Used as tissue and splattered in blood A product of the earth and a gift from above I'm so happy with my old guitar I'm so happy with my old guitar And got some scars Pulls us close when we feel far I'm so happy with my old guitar It's got some glue and it's not brand new But the wood still smells like I want it to. Slept in a van on Highway 2 I'm so happy with my old guitar I'm so happy with my old guitar Full of memories and it's got some scars Been covered in fear in the late night bar a moldy car, Late at night on it, shooting stars, yeah, rocks to remind us of who we are, I'm so happy with my old guitar, I'm so happy with my old guitar, full of memories and got some scars, it pulls us close when we feel far. I'm so happy with my old guitar